Welcome back to the Diet Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Scher. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Anna Lorenzo. Now, as you'll hear us discuss, uh, Anna's a little unlike any other doctors we've had on this podcast. She's an ophthalmologist. And what's interesting is this metabolic disease we talk so much about, whether it's insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, so much of the focus is on the heart, the kidneys, the blood vessels, the sort of the overall metabolic condition but it also affects the eyes and it can affect it quite severely. So as we're gonna hear, um, Dr. Lorenzo specializes in, in what's called anterior segment surgery or cataracts. And people with type two diabetes are more likely to get cataracts. But when she looks into someone's eyes and can examine and see the back of their eyes, she can already see changes from diabetes called diabetic retinopathy. And through her own personal experience and her family experience, she came across low carb lifestyles as a way to um, dramatically improve and treat blood sugar control for people with type two diabetes. And now she's able to apply that to her patients who she sees for eye problems, but then can make the diagnosis of type two diabetes or can help treat their type two diabetes uh, with low carb lifestyle. So it's a wonderful example of, you know, the old saying of stay in your lane. Well, she didn't stay in her lane and thank goodness because she's helping so many people. You might say, you know, eye doctors just need to stay in their lane and treat the eyes, but no, she, she took it into her own hands to help her family and now is using that to help her patients. And I think it's a wonderful example. Um, and you can see she's a, a very kind and caring person. So she definitely wants to help people. And this, this is a great way that she can do it. So I hope you uh, enjoy this interview with Dr. Anna Lorenzo. Well, Dr. Anna Lorenzo, thank you so much for joining me on the Diet Doctor podcast. Oh, thank you, uh, Dr. Red. I'm very happy to be here. For me, it's an honor. Uh, you are one of my long-distance teachers, so um, I'm so excited. And Diet Doctor, it's been a great tool for me and my patients, so I can be happier. Thank you so well, much. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, well, we, we've had quite a few doctors on the Diet Doctor podcast, but most of them deal with sort of the internals of the body, the metabolism, the heart, the the kidneys, the endocrine system. But now you are an eye specialist. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, what does the eye have to do with glucose and insulin metabolism and overall health? But interestingly, it does. And I definitely want to get into that. But first, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into being an ophthalmologist and specifically a, a cataract specialist. Uh, sure. Well, I studied medicine in the Anahuac University. Uh, it's a very prestigious university here in Mexico City. And um, I, well, I liked all specialties. I wanted to be a cardiologist, a neurologist, an internal medicine doctor. But at the end, I decided I want to do a surgical specialty. So um, I wanted to make a difference um, in the world. So I, I just um, thought that ophthalmology would be a high impact um, specialty because, um, well, the site is uh, valuable for a lot of patients. So, and also for um, the lifestyle that I wanted to, to be able to, to manage my own time. So um, that's why I entered ophthalmology among other reasons. Yeah, that's a great, that's a good description. You know, it's important to feel like you are really making impact and seeing that impact. And with ophthalmology, you certainly can see that. I mean, people walk out of your, your operating room completely different in terms of their ability to see, and that's pretty remarkable. But one of the things I always really just sort of um, 
uh, thought, took in with awe and was uh, amazed about is how much you could learn by looking into somebody's eyes. And it's one of the hardest physical exams to get used to, you know, putting a stethoscope on someone's chest to listen to their heart is pretty easy, but taking the special, the special magnifier, looking into someone's eyes, getting real close and actually seeing the back of the eye can tell you so much about a person's overall health. So the eye is the window to the soul. Well, the eye is also sort of the window to the health. So tell us about some of the things you can learn just by looking into somebody's eyes. Yeah, actually, well, at least here in Mexico, you don't get to know a lot about ophthalmology until you enter the, the residency. Um, because it's very different to look uh, through the direct ophthalmoscope than to look at it from the slit lamp. It's very different. You can see um, a lot of a lot of things, a lot of signs. For example, a lot of people don't even know that they are diabetic, uh, and I find out some signs into their eyes. Into when I do the retinal exam uh, with a dilated pupil. And then I can see microaneurysms or hemorrhage on her stuff. And I tell them, oh, are you a diabetic? And they didn't even know that they had diabetes or hypertension or some other problems that, that you can directly see into their readiness. So, yeah, we, we tend to have a lot of patients um, with undiagnosed diabetes that um, through our medical exam, we can diagnose them. Yes, yeah, so, so that's pretty remarkable that they walk into your office because of an eye problem, but then you can make the diagnosis of this systemic metabolic disease of type 2 diabetes or hypertension or metabolic syndrome um, that they had no idea they even had. I mean, that, that's a pretty powerful diagnostic tool. No blood tests needed, no special scans needed, just looking in the back of somebody's eyes. So you mentioned some some fancy terms there, but basically... I guess if you were to if you were to simplify what those terms means, it's an abnormality of the blood vessels in the back of the eye, which can then affect the retina itself and the vision itself. Is that a sort of an accurate way of saying it? Yes. Uh, the problem with diabetes is that it affects the small vessels in the retina. Uh, sometimes it uh, they can dilate and form microaneurysms. And uh, this, these blood vessels, they are tiny blood vessels. They can leak. And they can cause uh, macular edema. Um, that means that uh, you, you start, that they start leaking and uh, there's like an accumulation of fluid between the layers of the retina. And, uh, but on the other side, they can um, close up. Uh, and then you have uh, macular ischemia because the... The blood can't reach the, the retina, the layers of the retina, and then um, you have ischemia. So it can go both ways, but you can see the changes, the early changes. Even if the patient has a vision of 20-20, you can um, look at these signs and know that they have um, some sort of disease. So that's interesting. So there could be zero vision changes. Their vision is as perfect as far as they can tell. Um, but they could be having already manifestations of this. So if, if they were to develop symptoms of diabetic retinopathy or the eye disease from diabetes, what type of symptoms would they start to present with? Yeah, at the beginning, uh, most patients um, are asymptomatic. They don't, they don't see any changes. That's why it's very important for patients uh, to check their eyes uh, at least once a year even if you think you are healthy. That's, um, but um, here in Mexico, at least, 
uh, people don't go to preventive medicine. They only go to the doctor when they have some symptoms, they can see very well, or they want to change their glasses prescription. So um, that's, um, that's not very good. Or, or maybe they come, but when they start having this uh, vision loss, um, and maybe the diabetic retinopathy, it's already advanced, and there's not so much that we can do about it, or it's harder to treat. So it's advisable for all patients, even if they think that they are uh, healthy, or even if they think that they, they have uh, very good eyesight, to um, check their eyes at least once a year, because there are uh, silent diseases like diabetic retinopathy, but there are others like glaucoma. So it's, it's advisable that people check their eyesight once a year. Yeah, that, well, that certainly makes sense. And then if, if they have symptoms of floaters, like little yeah. dark spots floating across their vision or, or black spots where they sort of can't see through part of their vision, obviously that's sort of a red flag that they need to get their eyes checked right away as well. Yeah, right? and uh, a very early sign of, for example, diabetes is that uh, they can have uh, changes in their eyesight, even in the same day, for example, they say, oh, in the morning, uh, my eyesight is it's better. But uh, in the afternoon, evening, uh, it's getting worse, and then come back, uh, come back again. So that's an early sign, and that means that their glucose levels it's it's changing. Um, that's a, a very early sign. It's important, for example, to know if your glu uh, glucose level is high, you can't get uh, a prescription for glasses because uh, it's not going to help you. It's going to change, and then if you, when your glucose levels goes down again. Uh, then your prescription, your glasses prescription is going to change again. So oh, wow. it's important to have like a stable blood glucose before you have a prescription. And that's because the crystalline lens, uh, it, it gets swollen and then uh, your, your prescription or your eyesight that changes a lot. So that's a very early sign. And that's when you, spec you start suspecting that something is off. When people tell you that uh, their vision is changing a lot during the same day or in maybe a day or two, it's changing a lot, then um, that's like a red flag for me. Okay. Interesting. Now, now, I'm sure you see a high percentage of patients with diabetes because type 2 diabetes is also a precursor to developing cataracts, which is your specialty, but that's something you can sort of treat. You can remove the diseased lens and put a new lens in, and basically they're good to go. You've sort of fixed their cataracts. Is the same true for diabetic retinopathy? Is that something you can fix or reverse, or is that something you just sort of have to try and manage with, with surgery? Well, uh, it depends on what stage of the diabetic retinopathy it's uh, the, the patient. For example, it's, it's very early or it's uh, very recent, the macular edema, uh, then it's completely reversible. And, um, and this is the early stages when you, they can have a perfect vision. So it's, uh, it's important to, to check them and to, to manage their, their diabetes. But, for example, if it's chronic macular edema, that means that uh, more than three months, then it's harder to re reverse it. Or, uh, well, uh, there's uh, basically two different stages. One, it's non-proliferative uh, diabetic retinopathy, and that usually it's reversible or at least manageable. But when this progresses to proliferative uh, diabetic retinopathy, then it's harder to treat, and also uh, sometimes it's uh, non-reversible. 
The difference is that when you have a diabetic um, proliferative diabetic retinopathy, there are um, new blood vessels that form, but these new blood vessels are really thin and they, well, they break and then you have a, a vitreous hemorrhage or hemorrhage in between the layers of the retina and then uh, it progresses and you, have, you can have a retinal detachment or um, other irreversible consequences. So it's very important yeah. to check them in early stages so that it can be reversed. For example, if it's macular edema, it's reversible, but only when it's not chronic. Right. And now I'm sure when you went through your ophthalmology training, you learned all about the photocoagulation and the vitrectomy and the different surgical approaches to um, addressing um, diabetic retinopathy. But did you learn anything about treating diabetes and trying to manage diabetes either you know, with lifestyle potentially to help reverse or stop the progression of diabetic retinopathy? Uh, not at all. I, yeah. I, yeah, I learned uh, that uh, as in medical school, we learned that diabetes is a chronic condition that's um, non-reversible, progressive, and that uh, basically it's a life sentence. So um, they teach you also, uh, well, I, I learned at residency that you ha the only thing you could do is to have a close follow-up of patients so that you uh, you manage their 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 symptoms with uh, either uh, photocoagulation that's laser or with anti-angiogenic drugs that's uh, injections into their eyes. But unfortunately, for example, these injections for macular edema or to prevent um, trying to prevent the proliferation of new blood vessels that only lasts for about a month. So patients have to come back have those injections every month. So that's uh, that's not a very good quality of life. So um, that's what I learned, and that you can only manage the complications as they present. And, yeah. uh, well, now well, I but know now, better. Now you know better, exactly. Now you know better. Mm -hmm. So now you've been a vocal supporter of using lifestyle, specifically nutrition and specifically low-carb lifestyle, to help treat the underlying diabetes and, and thereby also treating the diabetic retinopathy. So before we get into sort of the specifics of how that works, tell us about your personal journey and how you came to learn about low-carb lifestyles and the effects they can have for health. Because like we, we said, you didn't learn it in your medical training, so how'd you learn it? Yeah, uh, my journey started about five years ago, and it all started because of my dad. I remember it was New Year's Eve. I was at the beach with my now husband, and uh, my sisters called me uh, worried about my dad because he had been uh, losing weight, and he had a bad flu. I think he lost around uh, 10 kilos. That's um, about uh, 20 pounds in about 15 days. And he he wasn't getting any better from, from a flu he had. So the first thing we thought it was that he had cancer. And uh, I ordered some blood work and it was a surprise to know that his blood glucose was uh, in around 300 milligrams per deciliter. That's about 18 millimoles per liter. Very high. Yeah, very high. So uh, he was diagnosed with uh, with diabetes. So um, he was referred to an endocrinologist, and he started as every other diabetic patient with medications and with uh, low fat and high carb, 
whole grains and orange juice for breakfast and all this uh, crazy, crazy diet and crazy treatment. So uh, at the beginning, he, well, the, uh, the endocrinologist managed his blood glucose, but he started feeling uh, not so well. For example, he loves, uh, he, he loves to take long walks uh, in the park, but uh, two times he just lost consciousness because he had a hypoglycemia. So they called my mom and it was, uh, it was really bad. So I talked to his endocrinologist and asked him to lower uh, his medication. But um, he was reluctant to do so because he thought that his glucose was well managed while he didn't exercise. So just tell him to not exercise and he was like really sad. So I, I was disappointed and... Um, and start uh, doing my own research because I knew what uh, what that path could be as a doctor. I knew that he would only be put on more medications and then insulin and then three types of insulin. And uh, maybe he would go blind or started with ne nephropathy. So I just started doing my own research. And that's why I came across uh, the low carb world and the ketogenic diet and, uh, well, diet doctor and Dr. Jason Fung. And, uh, well, everything changed for me. I started questioning everything I've learned about nutrition and the way we treat diseases and um, to, to ask ourselves if uh, it's the best, uh, the best way or the best treatment for, especially for, for diabetes. So I talked to my dad about all that I was learning, but first I started... Um, doing myself the ketogenic diet because I, I wasn't going to put uh, my dad or any other patient through some something that I, I wasn't uh, went through. So um, I did it myself. And for me, it was uh, amazing because I, I lost like five kilos, like like 10 pounds in, a, in about two weeks. I didn't have like a lot of weight to lose, but I started feeling amazing. My focus, my energy, uh, even my exercise performance, everything was was better. I was feel, feeling so great. So I start uh, talking to my dad about this new treatment I just discovered. But uh, at the beginning, he didn't want to do the. Uh, well, he he didn't uh, was sure about uh, this new way of eating because it it directly uh, was exactly the opposite that the endocrinologist was prescribing him. So um, I, I reached out to Dr. Jason Funk and I went to, to Toronto uh, to do a clinical rotation. And that's uh, where also when my, when my life changed because I learned how, how diabetes is, was reversible. But I, I knew a lot of patients who could reverse their 20 plus years uh, diabetes. They were on high doses of insulin and it all was uh, reversible. So I came back and within one month, my dad um, lost, well, he, he just um, went off medication and his uh, blood glucose was at normal levels. Uh, I'm dying was, to know, how did his doctor react to that? The doctor <laughs> who said, you just can't exercise and stay on your high doses of medication. So how did he react when your father responded so well to, to a low carb diet? Yeah, he didn't respond very well. He was uh, he was actually mad at me because he thought wow. that I was hurting my own father. So uh, 
but by that saw the results. He he just has a lot of he had a lot of gastrointestinal upset, and uh, he just when he stopped taking the medications, everything changed for him. Uh, I was uh, cl uh, very closely monitoring him. I, I called him every day, and one day I called him and Dad, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I have to call you back because I'm I'm at the gym now, so I'll, I'll have to call you back. So <laughs> he went back to exercise. I mean, his whole life changed. So yeah, uh, yeah, That's it was, yeah, and he had to. He definitely stopped seeing that doctor because uh, he didn't want. He he thought that uh, he was going to hurt himself, and he didn't want to get involved in in his treatment. Yeah, you so, know, it's such an interesting interesting way to how to think about a doctor like that because it's not like the doctor was trying to hurt your dad it's not like the doctor was trying to be mean or controlling necessarily but just that's the way the doctor was taught and let's face it as physicians we're not really taught to question guidelines we're not taught to question authority which is a, a big problem i think in medical education um so anything outside of what the guidelines say was was completely foreign and a threat and so on the one hand, you can sort of understand why the doctor would react that way. But <laughs> when he just comes down to common sense and hearing stories like this, it's like, how could anybody react that way? Like, we really need to be more open-minded as doctors. So stories like yours are, are incredible because you have the personal experience of trying it yourself, trying it with a family member, seeing the, the life-changing potential. And then you go forth and you can apply it to your your hundreds, if not thousands of patients that you see. So how did you then make the transition to treating your patients who come to you for a different problem, right? They're not coming to you for diabetes. They're coming to you for, for cataracts and for eye problems. So how did you make that transition then to try and help them understand the importance of nutrition and lifestyle and carbohydrates and so forth? Yes, Brett. Uh, first of all, I, I have to say that, yeah, I don't blame uh, this uh, particular doctor of, or any other doctor because I was one, one of them. Uh, when I was in training, I, I used to look up at all my teachers and I thought that uh, they were doing a great job and I learned from them. And it, I think it's just the system. It's what you learn, but uh, it's important um, to, to raise your voice and to see that if there's something that it's, it's not working, look for, for something else. So um, I... Uh, I, well, I, I want to tell you one story. A lot of patients, when I started, um, when I finished my residency and I started uh, seeing patients, a lot of them would complain that when they started insulin, that their eyesight was uh, even worse. And they they were telling me about, the, they were thinking about um, not taking the insulin anymore. And I would uh, tell them, no, 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 don't do that. The insulin is helping you, so don't stop it. Uh, you are not going to hurt yourself. But uh, right now, with the knowledge I have right now, I, I understand and now I believe them. And I think it's, it's exactly because um, the insulin, the only thing that it's doing, it's pushing the glucose into the cells, including the retina and uh, all the cells in the body. So um, it's, it's uh, logical that it's getting worse, that the vision is getting worse. So I now believe them and uh, I try to take them off insulin and I, I encourage them and tell them that, that it's possible. Yeah. And, and they, must, they must look at you a little crazy saying, well, what's an eye doctor doing telling me about my nutrition, especially when my regular doctor is not, not teaching me about nutrition. So do you, do you get some resistance or, and uh, some people thinking like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about or, 
or people seem to be more um, accepting of, of nutritional advice from you, especially low-carb nutritional advice? Yeah, well, uh, I'm lucky enough to have uh, some examples. For example, when I, when I tell patients about my dad, I don't try to push the, the low-carb diet, but I always tell the story, for example, of my dad or my husband, who also, he, well, he had hypertriglyceridemia. He was like in the high uh, 700s. Only with diet in one month, he went from 700 to 150 milligrams wow. per deciliter. So I try to, to tell the, uh, these stories to, to my patients so that they trust me. They don't think, oh, this is just a fat diet or some experiment that the doctor is trying on me. This is something that I tell them the story that my dad reversed the diabetes or my husband. So they, they trust, trust me even more because I, I try to explain them that way. And so they, they, they just say, oh, okay, I will give it a try. And, um, and I try to, to well, I, I direct them to, to my social media or my webpage you know, because uh, sometimes uh, I don't have like a lot of time in that, um, at that moment to explain them. And they, when they do their own research, they come back and ask me for, um, to help them with uh, the diet and the, well, and the, all the other, well, the sleep, and uh, I try to to incorporate a lot of other stuff other than diet in lifestyle. That's great. Yeah, definitely a multifaceted ophthalmologist looking <laughs> at far more than just vision in the eyes. That's wonderful. Well, it certainly seems like you you've got a, a nice um, a nice sort of protocol figured out. I mean, just by who you are and clearly caring for your patients and being interested and wanting to help them. Plus, with your own personal stories and your family stories and your patient stories. Um, it's, you can really connect with them and having another avenue to send them to with videos. Um, but, but it seems like you probably have another hurdle. So being in Mexico city, I mean, let's be honest, the, the Mexican culture is very involved with food and specifically carbohydrate rich food with beans and rice and tortillas and chips. And, and that's a hurdle in and of itself. So tell us a little bit about what you encounter from that standpoint and what some of your strategies are to help people kind of get over that. Yeah, well, yeah, in Mexico, food is delicious. And I think mm -hmm. uh, since you are a little kid, your mom and your grandma, they are all showing you or demonstrating their love with food. So people in here are um, are used to, to use food as uh, a comfort. Um, so it's, it's, it's very hard and people love their beans and they love their tortillas. And so sometimes they are reluctant to, to change. But... Um, I, that's uh, why I use a lot of uh, the Diet Doctor website to show them that they can switch some and some very easy uh, like swap things uh, to to make them delicious. And for example, for tortillas, I we have here many people don't know them, but we have uh, nopal tortillas. That's a cactus that it's very prevalent here in Mexico and it's really high in fiber and very low in carbs in net carbs. So we usually do that uh, little switch to tortilla, to uh, nopal tortillas. And for example, uh, or if when they want to eat tacos, that it's um, everyone eats tacos in here, I just ask them to, to rub them in lettuce instead of tortilla or cheese, um, like hardened cheese. And so it's not so hard for them. 
Also, for example, for hamburgers, I also ask them to to have them in between two slight like two lettuce uh, wraps. So if there are small changes that they can do to to improve. Other things that I do is, for example, instead of rice, I teach them how to make um, cauliflower rice. So it tastes exactly the same and um, or very similar. So mm -hmm. uh, when they they notice that they can eat almost as if uh, as before, just with uh, little tweaks, then they they get motivated because they, they see results and they, they start um, making these changes. Another tool that I use a lot is uh, the continuous glucose monitor. For example, um, a couple of years ago, when I came back from, from Toronto, uh, there, there was none in Mexico. So I, I tried to, uh, to bring here as much as I could. And that was, for example, for my dad, it was a very helpful tool because he, he didn't want to leave rice. For example, I, I always, um, the first step always in, in the treatment or in the protocol is to, to switch from processed foods to natural foods. So my dad was, oh, but beans are natural. They are not processed. So I, I don't think they are bad for me. But when he, he got the, the continuous uh, glucose monitor, he started to see how his blood glucose would spike and then uh, go down even at lower levels at, than at the beginning. So uh, when you have a visual clue of what's happening with each, um, with, uh, with each type of food, then uh, they get it and they start changing and they, um, that's when they, they, they get the importance of the, of the carbs and, and everything else. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that you're using uh, glucose monitors, uh, CGMs. We we had a whole episode of the podcast with Dr. Casey Means talking about CGMs, and they're they're so valuable for for patient learning experience, um, both you know how their actions and what they're eating, how it affects their blood sugar, and that immediate feedback is so important. So yeah, glad to hear that you're you're doing that. And and right, I mean substitutes are so important um, because you know at Diet Doctor we have. Um, these tortillas you can make with eggs and psyllium husk, and and so that we you don't have to give up tortillas. And if you're using cauliflower rice, you can still season it with similar seasonings to get a, a similar taste. But I'm sure there's there's um, sort of a resistance at first or a hesitancy, especially um, especially like in families that might have multi generations living together, because older generations might have zero interest in making any changes. And younger generations too, if the taste is different, they might not be interested. So it's someone making a change for themselves is one thing. Someone change, making a change that involves other members of the family can also be challenging. Is that something you see in, in Mexico with sort of maybe multi-generational living situations and difficulty or barriers from that standpoint? Uh, uh, well, I usually um, have the, the mom or the spouse of the patients come into the consultation because uh, they are the ones who cook. So uh, if they understand how uh, the diet, what um, changes they have to do, then the whole family would, would do the, the changes. Uh, for example, I, well, the most extraordinary case that I have up until now, it's been a patient who was born with a genetic condition called Prader-Willi syndrome. Uh, so she was, uh, she was a 39-year-old 39 female patient. So he came here with uh, obesity since childhood, and she had short stature and uh, small feet, small hands. 
And uh, these patients usually, um, they have obesity since childhood and they are always hungry. So uh, it has been until uh, recently that uh, they have discovered that they have leptin resistance. They, they have very high levels of leptin. So for them, it's, it's sad, but they are always hungry. So um, this patient, he came with uh, her mom. And so I explained to her mom and we made a protocol for her. She started eating only three times a day, trying to avoid snacks, uh, only uh, natural foods, nothing processed. And it was um, a slow progress with ups and downs. But finally, after like six months, she could um, lost about uh, 25 kilos. That's about 50 pounds. And also she, um, she, could, she could leave a lot of the medications she was taking. For example, she was in three different types of insulin. She was taking oral hypoglycemic agents. She was taking even SSRI for anxiety and agitation. So we could, we could start uh, taping her off. And um, now she's, she's doing great. And I, I think she's an, an example because if someone with uh, those levels of leptin resistance and being always hungry could uh, improve that much, I think uh, anyone can do it. Also, um, her mom told me that, um, that how it has changed her life and how she's happier now than ever before. So I think uh, involving the whole family and especially the moms can be, can be really helpful. Yeah, that's a great example of something that's so important, and, and people can't, people don't have to, and shouldn't do it alone. But engaging the entire family um, as as assistance and educating them them on the importance of the change is is wonderful. So that's great. Uh, now, now that you've been doing this for years now, helping people change their diet and promoting low carb, have you started to see patients come back so you can re-examine their eyes and see any any changes, either any improvements or certainly lack of progression? So I guess my question is twofold. Have you seen that? And then are, is there any studies or evidence or science to support that nutritional interventions can can halt or reverse the progression of diabetic retinopathy? Uh, yeah, there's um, well in the med in the ophthalmologic uh, medical literature that it's clear that the number one uh, prognosis factor to developing or progressing the diabetic retinopathy is the control of their low, uh, glucose levels. So um, uh, with this intervention, we can see that uh, people really stop. I usually operate on patients, but then I have them come back at least every six months um, or, or earlier if it's their disease, it's more advanced. But people notice that they, they see better, that they are not progressing, that they are losing weight. So I, I can definitely see, especially uh, not progression, an improvement in their eyesight if um, their diabetic retinopathy is not in late stages. But yes, um, there's, there's evidence and uh, I think uh, low-carb diets and ketogenic diets and fasting, all of them have, have shown to, to help with the control of the glucose levels more than anything else. Yeah. And, and there is, I have seen some research about um, 
ketogenic diets for glaucoma and for optic nerve uh, disease. And, you know, there's small studies, and I don't think a lot have been done. I tried to do a search and, and didn't come up with a whole lot. But I would hope that this is a field that's going to get more and more attention because just like we're worried about vessels elsewhere in the body and metabolic health elsewhere in the body, it affects the eyes as well. And let's face it, I mean, there aren't a lot of great treatments um, to reverse it, to reverse that problem, especially if it's laid on, like you said. So if something as simple as nutrition can can make the difference, um, that's something I'd like to know about and and certainly hope more people are studying it. Um, have you have you started to see any trends in the ophthalmology community, like in conferences or in just other colleagues talking about it, that people are starting to get more interested in lifestyle interventions for, for eye disease? Uh, not very much, Brett, at least no. not here in Mexico. Yeah, unfortunately, they're uh, more focused on, on new anti-angiogenic drugs or new types of uh, laser to photocoagulate the retina but not so much in, in this intervention, in like lifestyle interventions. But I think, um, well, we're spreading the word. So I, I hope that, um, and uh, especially if we, if we can tell the patients, uh, then their patients tell their primary care doctors. And I think slowly we're, we're gonna spread the word. And for me, it's very important that patients know that the, this is not, um, a chronic or a condition or a life, well, it's chronic, but it's not a life sentence that they can reverse it. And, yeah, but most patients think they can't, so they are depressed and they don't, they don't even um, take good care of, of themselves because they don't know how to. It's just a matter of telling them and showing them the way that um, they, can, they can do something about it um, besides the medication. And, and that's when, when they open their eyes and and they start, they start doing small changes. But yeah, in the ophthalmology world, uh, not yet. We're yeah. starting and I think more, more people would, will get um, in, in this boat. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Well, I think there are a number of take-home messages from this podcast. And, and one of them is, is at, like you started with, saying, get your eyes checked. If you have type 2 diabetes, get your eyes checked because... Uh, you may not know um, that you have retinopathy unless unless someone takes a look and takes a detailed look. Um, but also, even before you have type 2 diabetes, still important to get your eyes checked because, because, like you said, you've been able to pick it up on people who haven't even had a diagnosis. And the same for high blood pressure. High blood pressure causes other problems that you can see in the back of the eye. So I think that was a great take-home message. Um, what, other, what other messages or thoughts do you want to leave our listeners with today? Well, I, I would like them to, to be uh, their own advocates, to advocate from their health. Because here in Mexico, it's very prevalent that um, people uh, trust the doctors at 100% and they want uh, like a magic pill. They mm -hmm. want, for example, they get the diagnosis or even uh, diabetic retinopathy and they think that with laser or with the intravitreal injections, they are going to get better. But they don't want to do any changes. So I, I want to, I want them to know that they, I mean, it's good to trust their doctors. But uh, I want them to do their own research to know that um, this is reversible. That they 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 can ask their doctors to what other options do they have, and um, and I think it's it's very important for them to know that there are other uh, other options that they can 
do something about it and not just uh, take the medications or, or, or do what as, exactly as the doctor said. Yeah, that's a, that's a great take-home message that um, we really do have to be our own advocates, our own best advocates as patients. And, and fortunately now with the internet, we can find other sources of information. Now, hopefully they're credible sources of information, but there's, there's, there are other ways out there to educate yourself and hopefully help educate your doctor. And as you were explaining that also, you know, the obvious point that you can treat the diabetic retinopathy with lasers, with injections, but that does nothing for your kidneys, for your heart, for your peripheral vascular disease, for your whole, you know, metabolic system in your whole body. So it's a, it's a local problem to a systemic issue. I'm sorry, local solution to a systemic problem and a systemic issue. So advocating for yourself to get treatment that's going to help your entire body, not just the one local problem is, is definitely a great take home message as well. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join me. I really appreciate your information. And you mentioned um, a YouTube channel and some other uh, sources that you have. So where can you direct people to go to to kind of learn more about you? Uh, sure, Brett. Our, our webpage, it's inedia.mx. And we are also in Inedia in Facebook uh, and in Instagram. So they can uh, look me up. Uh, right now, uh, for well, for ophthalmology since COVID nineteen, I'm only doing consultations for well, for ophthalmology. I can do it online, but for for uh, metabolic health, I'm doing it uh, online. So people can reach me there, and if they want more information, they can uh, look in social media. Great. Now spell that website for us, just so everybody can. It's I N E D I A. Very good. All right, dot well, MX. I, dot MX. Great, great. Well, that's, that, I'm sure that's a wonderful resource that we, and we can put the, a link down in the description below um, of the podcast. So uh, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And I wish you luck. And I look forward to seeing a lot more from you uh, in, in the future with all your, all your advocacy. So thank you. Thank you. And excuse my English, that is a little rusty. <laughs> no.